This afternoon was the last Bible Bowl for this year, and I feel that it's certainly appropriate to try to recognize, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor, and our young people have done a tremendous job this year in studying the Bible. And I think that they will look back, many of us talked after the Bible Bowl this year about how much Bible knowledge these young people have gained and how much effort that they have put in, not just our young people, but all of them. But I'm extremely proud of our young people and the parents because many of you have sacrificed time to encourage these young people, and we're proud of our teachers who teach them and prepare them for the Bible Bowl, and I think it's remarkable that they have done so well, and they need to be encouraged as they continue that part of their service to the Lord. Ponderings of the Preacher. When some of you perhaps looked at the title in the bulletin, you perhaps thought, Tony's just going to tell us what was on his mind. And then as Brother Derek read to us the first two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, it became apparent that this sermon is not about what I might ponder, but about what an inspired man of God pondered as he considered the events of life. Let me begin by pointing out to you that the book of Ecclesiastes is a fascinating and a puzzling book at the same time. It's fascinating because it reveals a man whose conviction was that there was a God in heaven and that there are answers to the problems, the difficulties of man. It is a puzzling book because of the way he approaches many of these questions. And I'd like to encourage you over the next few weeks on Sunday afternoons to take a few minutes and read the book of Ecclesiastes. You can read it at one sitting. It won't take you that long. And to read it and to try to contemplate what Solomon was trying to say. It explores both what is and what should be. I don't know if you think about sometimes about what really exists and what God wants. We talked this morning about the children of Israel and their wilderness wandering. And certainly God had a desire for the children of Israel, but their actions in life were contrary to the will of God. Solomon acknowledges that. It tests in depth the meaning of life. What is life all about? What are we here for? Where are we going? What is our purpose in life? You know, a lot of people say they're trying to find themselves. And those people who are usually trying to find themselves have not consulted God's Word because if they did, they would find the meaning of life and where joy is truly to be found. So in this lesson, we're going to begin a series of lessons titled Ponderings of the Preacher. And these are going to be studies from the book of Ecclesiastes. And it will address some of the hard questions of life. Why is life like it is? What is it all about? Where are we trying to go? What are we trying to accomplish? Are we vanity of vanity? All is vanity and striving after wind. 
So tonight we want to look at three very simple things. This is an introductory lesson. Who is the preacher? Number two, what does the preacher want to know? What's he trying to find out? And number three, why is this relevant to modern man? So let's take just a few minutes to talk about the beginning of the book. The Hebrew word koheleth simply means the speaker of the assembly. In fact, if you're looking in the title of it, the title is Ecclesiastes. But you may not know that the word Ecclesiastes comes from the word ecclesia. And I know you've heard that many times. That's the word in the New Testament that is translated church. The assembly, the called out body. And so when you call this Ecclesiastes, you're saying the person who stands in front of that group. Some have called it the convener. Some have called it the teacher. But as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1, it is called the preacher. And it clearly indicates that his position is to speak to the assembly what he has learned. And really, that's what a preacher does. He speaks to the assembly. The tradition, both Jewish and Christian, attributes this book to Solomon. And I think rightly so. Let me give you some of the reasons behind that. Number one, according to chapter 1, verse 1, he was the son of David and he was a king in Jerusalem. There are not a lot of people who would fit that category. Listen carefully to chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. It would have to refer to someone like Solomon, perhaps Rehoboam, but he couldn't qualify for being very wise. As you begin to look at the other kings who ruled in Jerusalem, not many of them would meet all those qualifications. Solomon meets them very well. Number two, he was wise. In fact, let's look at a couple of verses. In chapter 1 and verse 16, I commune with my heart saying, Look, I have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. That is describing a man of considerable understanding. Chapter 12, verse 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, pondered. Now you know where I got the title from. Pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Does that sound familiar? Proverbs? In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, We read, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. That makes the statement of chapter 1 very conclusive Because God said, I'm going to say that you are better than anybody who came before you, more wise, and more wise than anyone who will come after you. Solomon is the only one who fits all of these points. But that's not all. 
According to chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes was a great builder. In chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of trees in them. I made myself water pools from which water to grow, water the growing trees of the grove. Notice, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes pictures the building of a beautiful place. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 7. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all of his house. Dropping down to verse 6. He also made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits, its width 30 cubits, and in front of them was a portico with pillars, and a canopy was in front of them, and he made the hall for the throne, the hall of judgment, where he might judge, and it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. You get a picture of how ornate his palaces were. You go on to verses 8 and 12. So the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of light workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife. You drop down to verse 12. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stone, a row of cedar beams. So were the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. What I understand from reading this is Solomon was a great builder. So was the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. He was exceptionally wealthy as well. You go to chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. And the house where I dwelt had another and also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. You think about a man who's able to gather gold and silver and not just that, but all of the, the joys that might go along with being wealthy. has the musical instruments. He has all of the other things. Well, listen to 1 Kings chapter 10. Actually, when I was preparing this, I thought about reading most of 1 Kings chapter 10. This chapter portrays Solomon in all of his splendor. But let me just choose a few verses here. Verse 14. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. That's billions of dollars of value. Every year. Look at verse 21. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. He had so much gold that when you, you would have no vessel of silver because it was worthless. Can you imagine that? Drop down to verse 23. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. I don't think there's any doubt 
But the person of the book of Ecclesiastes has to be Solomon. That leads me to the second thing. Who is he? I believe he's clearly Solomon. But what does the preacher want to know? You go to chapter 12, verse 10. The preacher sought out to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. Notice that word sought to find. I find myself frequently trying to find the right word to use to describe something in the Bible. Solomon, aided by being carried along by the Holy Spirit, was able to find the perfect word, the right words, acceptable words, words of truth. That's what he was looking for. Some of the truths are learned by instruction. Others are learned by experience. Now let me ask you, in your own life, the things that you know, how did you learn them? Some of you sat in classrooms and teachers taught you from a book. And you learned some things because someone taught you. Other things you learn because you experienced it. Some things you were learn both ways. Anybody ever tell you not to stick your finger in a light socket? They instructed you. Some of you didn't believe them. Some of us didn't believe them. And you stick your finger in a light socket. You know what happens? You're shocked. You learn by both instruction and wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 1 and verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain to wise counsel. Chapter 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will increase. Or he will still be wiser. And uh, teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. But, look at verse 3 of chapter 26. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. You see, the rod for the fool's back is he has to be taught by experience. You try to tell him, but no, he won't listen. But he will learn by means of the rod. Solomon is trying to convey words of truth. That's what he wants to find out here. Sometimes things have to be considered or thought upon. When you study the Bible, how do you study it? Do you read a passage of Scripture and just rush over it real quickly? Or do you read it carefully and you think about what it says and how to apply what it says? And how to reason out. I suggest to you this is the key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. To think upon it. To consider what Solomon is trying to say. Let me illustrate this to you. Proverbs 24 beginning with verse 30. I went by the field of a lazy man, the sluggard. And by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. 
Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone walls broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. What is Solomon saying is you can look and observe what is taking place in life and compare that with what God has said and you can derive a lesson and you can learn from that. The book of Ecclesiastes is taking what man is doing and comparing that with what God wants done and as you start contrasting them, That leads me to my next point is, sometimes this is painful. You know why things are painful sometimes, why they hurt? is because we are pricked by them. You remember what Jesus told Paul on that road to Damascus? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads. God's word can be like a goad to us. I want you to take with me just an example. Psalm 73. We could study the whole chapter, but I have to take verses 1 through 16 because this conveys what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make. Here's what Asaph said. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as of a pure heart. But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. Let me pause here for just a moment before we continue our reading to notice verse 1 states the principle. God is good to those who are pure of heart. But he says, for me, I looked and I almost made a mistake. Why? Because I was envious of the wicked people. And here's what he saw to start with just superficially looking on the surface of things. He said, there's no pains in their death. They're not plagued like other men. Now let's continue on. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does the God know and is there knowledge in the Most High? Notice, if you will look here again at verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart can wish. You look at wicked people sometimes, they look like they're really doing well. And then you look at verse 11. And they blaspheme the name of God. Continue on. 
But hold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Now here's his preliminary conclusion. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to a generation of your people. He said, if I had said that, I would not have been true to God's people. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Dot, dot, dot until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their latter end. Old Solomon is going to be able to take life and look at it and even see superficially sometimes what men see and then say, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and striving after wind. Number three, why is this relevant to modern man? That's thousands of years ago. In a country far, far away, with a people of different culture and a people of different mind, does this have any application to modern man? Surely the Issues that we face today are much more complex than the people who have gone before us. Listen to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. Mankind has been doing things over and over and over again. And as you start looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, you start saying, that's as current as today. Let me illustrate to you. What are some of the notable pursuits that men search for today? If you were to sit down and make a list, what do people live their lives for today? Well, I'll tell you what some people do. They're in pursuit of knowledge, wisdom, understanding. I've talked to a few friends over the past few weeks about education, about the pursuit of education. The big thing today is to not only, when I went to school, you, if you got your bachelor's degree, you'd done well. But then that wasn't enough. People had to have a master's degree. And now they're saying, well, if you really want to distinguish yourself, you've got to have your Ph.D. You've got to be a doctor, not a medical doctor, an educational doctor. And I am not belittling anybody who spends the time and the effort to acquire that level of education. But there are some people that live for education. The old joke is they become a professional student. 
Some of you may be paying for those to go through school at this time. But let me point out to you that Solomon addresses this. Look at verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, was a king in Israel, king over Israel in Jerusalem. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I commune with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, for I perceive that this also is grasping for wind." For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. And you say, really, Solomon? Yes. People who learn find out how much they don't know. Someone says, I'd like to have all of the knowledge. No, you wouldn't. Because the more you know, the more that you cannot make straight something that's crooked. Some people pursue pleasure in life. Oh, let's have joy. Let's have fun. You know, there's some people, they're going the education route. More power to them. You can't, it's not going to lead to anywhere you can't solve all of life's problems some people say well i know i can't solve all of life's problems so i'm just going to enjoy it listen to solomon verses one through three i said in my heart come now i will test you with mirth therefore enjoy pleasure but surely this also was vanity i said of laughter madness and of mirth what does it accomplish I search my heart of how to gratify my flesh with wine and guiding my heart with wisdom and how lay hold on folly that I might see what is good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. Verse 10, Whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was a reward for my labor. Solomon said, I didn't hold anything back that I thought would make me happy. Give me pleasure. But he said, this also is grasping for wind. Some people pursue education. Some people pursue pleasure. And some people pursue wealth. Their goal in life is to be the richest person in the town, the richest person in the state, to be the richest person in their family. Oh, I've got to have more. Listen to verses 4 through 9. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which 
to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, had servants born in my house, yet had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me. I also gathered myself silver and gold, special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired myself male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. People want to have money and wealth and still be smart enough to know how to use it. Do you believe the book of Ecclesiastes is relevant to modern man? Most certainly. Absolutely. Not only are the pursuits the same, but the end results are the same as well. When you get to it, and you've acquired a Ph.D., or you have enjoyed every pleasure known to man, or you have made all the money in this world, do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Listen to chapter 9, verse 5, first part of that verse, chapter 8, verse 8, chapter 12, verse 7. For the living know that they will die. Every one of us know that. Chapter 8, verse 8, no one has the power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has the power over the day of his death. There is no release from war, and, there is, and the wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. Verse 7 of chapter 12, the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. This book forces us to deal with our own mortality. Man's always had to deal with that. Now surely, some can die prematurely if they're not careful. Even he recognizes chapter 7, verse 17, Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? No need to die prematurely by being foolish. This book tackles some of the greatest questions with which men struggle the questions that modern men struggle with. The ponderings of the preacher will deal with our questions and our attitudes toward this life. But I want to keep one thing in front of us all the way through our study, and that is the conclusion. Chapter 12, verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Solomon, the ponderings of the preacher, says this is what life is all about. Would you take your songbook out now and let us prepare to sing this song of invitation? Are you fearing God and are you keeping His commandments? What a blessed privilege we have now that we can come to our Lord Jesus Christ in faith, repenting of our sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized and added to that wonderful body called the church. I'm persuaded in this audience we have those who need to do that. And I, I don't know that I have the words 
to encourage you and persuade you that now is the time that you need to render that obedience. It may be that you're a child of God and you have allowed your life to be diverted by the devil. You've been deceived by him and you've given in to the sins of the world. Why not come back home to the Lord? Would you come as we stand and sing?